0: Welcome to The Compliance Files, brought to you by the Association of Compliance Officers in Ireland. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. Hello, and welcome to the Compliance Files podcast of the Association of Compliance Officers in Ireland. I am Kathy Jacobs, president of the ACUI, and it is a great pleasure for me to host this podcast. The publication of the Central Bank's Consumer Protection Outlook is an important and now firmly established date in the calendar of compliance professionals in Ireland. It is essential reading not just for those who work in conduct of business compliance in Irish regulated firms, but also for those running first line services and operations, those designing products and right up to senior management and boards. It sets out what the Central Bank sees as the key consumer risks and its main consumer protection priorities for 2021. It is always helpful as practitioners and industry participants to get an insight into what is preoccupying our regulators and to get inside their heads. And the Consumer Protection Outlook is a very good example of proactive outreach by regulators to industry, by the central bank, to give us in industry the heads up. The Consumer Protection Outlook report for this year was published on the 29th of March 2021. And for that reason, I'm delighted to welcome as a guest on the Compliance Files, Gráinne McAvoy. Director of Consumer Protection, Central Bank of Ireland and author of the Consumer Protection Outlook. Gronia was appointed Director of Consumer Protection at the Central Bank of Ireland in 2018 and is responsible for leading and overseeing the regulation of consumer conduct risk in the financial services industry, including policymaking, authorisations, prudential supervision of certain sectors and conduct supervision of all sectors. Gronia joined the Central Bank in 1997 and has extensive experience in the area of financial services regulation. Previously, she served as Acting Director of the Central Bank Security and Markets Supervision Directorate and as Head of Securities and Market Supervision. In these roles she was responsible for investment funds policy, regulation of investment fund and fund service providers along with the monitoring and surveillance of primary and secondary market trading. Grónya is here to discuss with me today the main themes and messages in this year's consumer protection outlook. Welcome Grónya to the Compliance Files podcast and many thanks for for talking to us today. Diving right in, Grónya, uh, could you please give us an insight as to how you and your team go about putting together the report and how much work goes into producing it.
1: Sure, Kathy, and, and thank you very much to the ACOI for inviting me to facilitate and participate on this podcast. I suppose it's fair to say that we put quite a, a large amount of work into developing and publishing the Consumer Protection Outlook report every year. And we see it as a really important foundation for our supervisory agenda and setting out at early on in the year what we see as the key risks across multiple sectors, and particularly those risks that have the greatest potential to pose significant harm for consumers. Now the, the, the process itself is very comprehensive. And while the report might be published in quarter one, I can say that the work that goes into it starts probably around quarter two or quarter three of every year. And I suppose we're very lucky because we are an integrated regulator. So we do have that unique position of being able to draw on our conduct and prudential supervisors insights our macroeconomic resources and outlooks that allow us to take an informed view of the risks that we see that are common across many different sectors. There's a lot of other things that kind of feed into our development of those insights and identification of those risks and we really draw on our supervisory work and our engagement and interaction with your your firms we we also draw on the data that regulatory firms regulated firms would actually submit into the central bank and again as a competent authority that participates across the, the european agenda we have great insights from the developments and emerging trends at a domestic european and at an international level we also do quite an extensive suite of engagement with various stakeholders including consulting with our consumer advisory group policy makers other consumer bodies at a national level and obviously the civic society i suppose more recently and most importantly we do draw on and we listen to the experiences of consumers in terms of their interaction with financial services firms and that's quite a comprehensive list of, of things that feed into the report but i think it's important because it shows the degree and depth of the analysis undertaken and it allows us to pinpoint those risks which have the greatest potential to negatively impact on consumers across each of the financial services sectors that we regulate in the event that that risk actually occurred and and why do we do this? I suppose in one way, it sets the supervisory agenda. It allows us to identify the firms or the products or services that we see that have the potential to cause the greatest harm. But it also allows us a degree of flexibility, I suppose, to address emerging issues, because as one sure thing, uh, emerging issues are, are are predictable, The when and where may not be as predictable. And I suppose maybe, drawing on maybe the, the part of your question as well, why is this of benefit to the firm, I suppose? And, and we publish this on a yearly basis because we allow, we share with firms. With Firms our view of the world, but also that we expect firms, I suppose, to react and be responsive to the risks that we have identified and to also prepare for, I suppose, the areas that we see as supervisory priorities. Now, effective conduct and consumer protection obviously begins with good business practices within firms. So in this regard, we expect the firms to identify, to monitor, manage all risks and particularly to focus on those risks that we have set out as as priorities. And that's really the reason why we publish this report.
0: Thanks, Gronia. I mean, it's clear that there's a very broad range of stakeholders and, and themes, input to the Outlook report. And, and, and there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And in, in doing my own research for this episode, I look back at, at previous editions and going back as far as 2015, which I believe was the first Consumer Protection Outlook report. One of the themes was the absence of a consumer focused culture. Uh, and that was characterized as the greatest threat to the objectives of achie- achieving long term sustainable and positive outcomes for consumers. And again, in the 2021 Outlook report, the Central Bank has identified the absence of a consumer-focused culture as a key risk for consumers. Is this a concern for the Central Bank? Does it reflect perhaps a lack of progress or are there other drivers, do you think, behind this risk staying as a key risk factor for firms?
1: That's a very good question. I think it's fair to say that you're right back in 2015 was when we first identified culture as a key area of focus and particularly consumer-focused culture. we have been talking about it for a number of years, but that's important because culture doesn't change overnight. And culture takes quite a lot and many years within the firm to transform, to develop and then transform and apply their culture across and to evolve their culture. So I think it will has been a, an, a theme that we have identified and will continue to be an emerging theme over the next couple of years. Our initial focus was very much around Culture and consumer focus culture within the banking sector, and I suppose that's drawing on our lessons learned and experiences of maybe previous failings in that sector. But it is fair to say that we have seen the impact and the work of the work that we have undertaken in the banking sector, and we have seen the banking sector being responsive to the initial difficulties. I suppose that were highlighted or brought up by previous crises, and I suppose that is very evident as we went into COVID nineteen pandemic of last year, and it really came into sharp focus how firms were treating their customers during this time and the culture and the behaviours that were applied and adapted by firms during this time. And I suppose it is fair to say that you can see evidence of, of good cultures where financial services firms, and maybe in particular the banking are sector actually addressed the challenges faced by consumers True, like the introduction of payment breaks as an example, if that makes sense. But look, culture is, as I said, and will be a continuing theme. And we see that while the emphasis at the outset may have been on the banking sector, we, we actually see this as an important area of priority across all services, uh, all financial services that we regulate and that we, re- we really want to see a true consumer focus culture embedded in the firms that we regulate. And I suppose, that, why is that important? Well, I suppose, as we've identified in the Outlook report, a lot of the risks that we have identified can actually be managed and mitigated well by having the right culture within the firm and having a true consumer-focused culture. If I give you an example of this, we've seen as a result in recent years, and I suppose more escalated and pronounced as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic is a trend towards digitalization. And we do see huge benefits in terms for consumers and and investors in relation to digitalization. It also does pose certain risks, for example. And if you see circumstances where you know, branch closures, this can often result in consumers maybe having difficulty in accessing even the most basic of financial services. So in our view, we think that a true consumer-focused culture should really assess any commercial decisions that firms may make and carefully consider the impact that they may have on their consumers and what their consumer-focused approach might be in that regard. And it's not necessarily to keep branches open, but it's to provide alternative solutions for consumers and recognizing that those solutions may also pose certain risks, I guess. I suppose fundamentally, what we would say is that culture is really how a firm operates and behaves, and it should really take an approach that goes beyond, I suppose, the specific provisions of the law and that they're proactive and meticulous in terms of how they do uh, their business, what products they provide their services and how they interact and engage with their customers. So this is a key area, as I said, this is a key priority for the central bank, and that we do really expect firms to have that true consumer focus culture embedded where they have the right structures, they have the right processes and systems, and really, that their internal processes are well governed and that there's a very strong message and tone from the top and from the firms in, in driving uh, effective behaviour and culture changes across firms. So
0: we are seeing the needle moving a little bit, but it is it is eternal vigilance really on, mm. on the culture front. gronya practitioners would be familiar with their CEO letters and, and the mm. other reports that, that the central bank would put out, but where does the Outlook report sit alongside
1: those, those tools? It's a really important part of our supervisory toolkit. As I said, at the outset, it's one of the first publications we issue every year, which sets out, I suppose, the risks that we see across multiple sectors and also our supervisory priorities. And ultimately, it's for the firms to uh, identify and seek to manage and mitigate those risks, along with other risks in their firms, and be prepared, I suppose, in terms of any supervisory approaches that the central bank might take. But it's the initial, I suppose, the outlook is, is, as I said, it's the initial engagement across the financial services sector. But it doesn't stop there. Throughout the year, as we undertake programmes of supervision, perhaps maybe thematic inspections, or if we've undertaken maybe a piece of research or a particular survey, we often publish the outputs of those research or those surveys, or even the outcomes of a thematic inspection in the form of a dear CEO letter. And while one might take the view that it's only the firms that were caught within the scope of the thematic inspection, really the dear CEO letter is an important communication to industry because this applies our findings from a thematic inspection right across all firms in that sector. So you may not have been the direct subject of the inspection, but you certainly are the direct subject of the outcome. And that's what we expect to see. And and then, as I mentioned, we publish research, we publish data, but we'd often maybe change or enhance our consumer protection regulatory framework, and we would consult on that. And all of these outlets and publications are in many ways to set out our clear expectations, to set out our regulatory requirements, et cetera, but they're often used as important vehicles to consult and engage and garner intelligence from industry, key stakeholders, consumer representatives. Um, So all of this, as I see, is very important in terms of being an open and transparent organization, which is very accountable for our actions. And I see the outcomes like the outlook report, the thematic inspection letters to dear CEOs, speeches, consultation processes, all of that is really important mechanism in terms of being accountable, being open and transparent, garnering the intelligence uh, from industry, from consumers and stakeholders, and enhancing, I suppose, trust and confidence in what the central bank does and delivering on our public interest.
0: Gronya, some members and listeners will read and I quote deliver intrusive risk-based supervision, perhaps with with some concern. Does this indicate a step change in the central bank supervisory approach?
1: No, I, I wouldn't necessarily see it as a, a step change, Kathy. We've always been very clear that we take an assertive risk-based, analytical and outcome focused approach to consumer and investor protection. We very much focus on regulated in firms firms and products according to the level of risks that they pose for consumers. Our our supervisory approach is very much based on ensuring that the firm's and the markets in which they operate are run in a way that achieves resilience across the system, that the firms are trustworthy, they operate fairly to very high standards. And I suppose they act at all times in the best interest of consumers and investors. For me, I see this delivery of intrusive risk-based supervision as a continuation of our risk-based approach to supervision. From our perspective, firms can expect and will continue to be subject to intrusive risk-based approach, particularly on the priority areas that we have called out in the Outlook report. We'll engage with firms, we'll continue to ask for questions of firms and will seek to have our requests actioned and where, we're, where in particular we see particular areas of concern. What does it mean for the regulated sector I suppose well as more generally? I've talked a lot about, I suppose, the focus on culture, but in the Outlook report, we also identified a number of key supervisory priorities, which will span this year and and, and across into next year. We'll continue to focus on ensuring there's appropriate support for borrowers in or facing financial distress, and that lenders treat them fairly in consistent processes in line with our regulatory expectations and our codes and regulations. We'll continue to look at how firms are responding to significant technology changes, including being resilient to information technology and cyber risks. And we'll also work with firms and markets to continue to support households and businesses through. Economic disruption caused by COVID-19 and that they're operating in the best interest of the wider economy. Well, there's a lot of work underway and it's much publicised in the work we're doing in relation to the insurance sector and in particular on the differential pricing practices across private car and home insurance markets. So we'll continue our work in, in progressing this throughout 2021 and again ensuring that firms adopt a consumer-focused approach in relation to their proposed solutions and practices in this context. But I suppose another key area of focus for us is the enhancement of our risk-based sectoral supervision, and that will be rolled out and implemented across the retail intermediary sector this year. Again, we're focusing on reporting obligations, key risk indicators, and known conduct risks. So I suppose the key message being it's a continuation of our approach in terms of supervision, but it's very much focusing on the key areas that we have set out in the Outlook report. How has the supervisory work done in
0: previous years and prior editions of the ICLIC report prepared firms to respond to the
1: events of last year and and pandemic? That's a really interesting question. I suppose one of the biggest things that last year has shown us is that all of our systems and approaches must be flexible and responsive to unanticipated and unexpected risks. We certainly have seen significant upheaval and uncertainty. And while that has been the main feature of last year, it's also shown us that the work which has been completed in recent years in terms of building strong and flexible consumer protection frameworks and developing more consumer-focused cultures has brought benefits for all consumers. We're also seeing these benefits in, ter- in terms of the resilience of a financial system that is capable of withstanding significant economic shocks. And I, I, what I would say, I suppose, is that last year has certainly shown that our frameworks and are responsive and that they are effective in terms of a crisis of this nature, particularly in dealing with internal disruption and impact on consumers. I would say that that this has been our our, our summary in terms of last year, that the the system and the firms that operate within that system are, are resilient in the main. But I suppose, and that's good and that's a positive position, but there are still challenges ahead of us in terms of ensuring that resilience remains and that consumers' interests are protected. And in this regard, all firms will need to remain proactive and vigilant in terms of their planning and very mindful of the risks that face their customers and that they have robust internal controls, governance frameworks and risk management frameworks that support them in terms of managing and mitigating those risks to consumers. Thanks, Grainne. Certainly firms, even though they had to put a lot of work into it, did seem to be
0: able to switch their models You know, at, at the onset of the pandemic. Gronja, what are the important messages from from you as the author of the Consumer Protection Outlook? What are are the important messages for industry that you want people to take uh, from it?
1: I, I would really like to reiterate the point that I made earlier, that we publish this report as a tool for firms to examine their own practices, their own processes and systems against the risks and priorities that we have set out in the report. And I suppose if I was looking at it from the lens of a compliance officer within a financial services firm, I'd very much look at this report as a resource, as a source of intelligence that can certainly contribute to your broader strategy and your plan. I would be expecting all firms to consider each of the risks that we have identified, and particularly in the context of their own business models and their own strategy, and more importantly, I suppose, in the context of their own risk assessment, and that the priorities we have identified are factored into all of these components, and that the firms actually take appropriate actions to protect their consumers in that context. It's important to highlight that this isn't an exhaustive list, and that there will be bespoke and nuanced risks, very relevant mm to the firm's own business model. So this shouldn't be seen as an exhaustive risk and it would be disappointing if that was the approach that was taken by firms nor indeed should it be seen as um, kind of a, a tick the box. So I, I've, ident- I've my, my risk management processes and my risk management frameworks cover all the risks the central bank identified. I'm done, job done. That's that's very much not the approach that we expect to, say, to see. We require the firms to take take and pay close attention, I suppose, to the risk we've identified but not leave aside their own assessment of this and other potential risks that could lead to concern consumer or investor detriment or harm. So we do, I suppose in summary, I would say we do expect the firms to act on the outlook report because ultimately consumer and investor protection begins with regulated firms. Grania, so essentially
0: the Consumer Protection Outlook report is is a starting point for firms and you definitely want to see a response of some sort by by all firms. So that's some of the key messages for Mm -hmm. for our listeners. They definitely need to act on it. Gráinne, this year's Consumer Protection Outlook has been particularly anticipated by industries because of the pandemic and it's very important to understand where we are with the pandemic given the evolving nature of the threats represented by it. The Consumer Outlook report deals with the pandemic. Looking ahead, do you think we will be dealing with it in next year's outlook. Can you look ahead perhaps and anticipate for our members and listeners where
1: where we might be? That's a really interesting question. And if I may say, I would love a crystal ball. But (laughs) unfortunately, we don't have any. So it is very difficult to make predictions around the current environment. And I suppose if we look back over the last number of years, would we have actually predicted what happened last year? I don't think so. But what I do, I suppose what I would say is that the crisis has shown that they rarely mirror previous crises, And what you may or may not have prepared for previously doesn't necessarily always set you up for the next, what might happen as you turn the next corner, I suppose. But it is important to note that the risks that we have identified in the outlook report, in the main, we don't see those as short-term risks, they're very much issues that we've seen emerging in recent years and I suppose areas that we've Particularly require regulated firms to focus on, and I suppose I'd, I'd refer back to the discussion we had earlier in relation to conduct. In that context, it is something that continues to evolve and develop, and potentially pose risks for consumers over the longer term. So again, if you look at it through the longer-term lens, what do I see as probably being the challenges that I see? Maybe that will set out, uh, that will come across for us in, in in years to come. I suppose what are we thinking about now that we see might pose potential benefits, but also potential changes or harms for consumers, and it's things maybe around the. Idea of greenwashing of financial products for investors. And the Outlook report also calls out, I suppose, another emerging trend, which is the whole area of digitalization across financial services and its broader impact on the changing nature of access to financial services. I suppose the point we've can leverage often see from the, the pandemic of last year is that it has certainly accelerated the impact of technology on financial services. And this is most evident through the temporary closure of branches or switch away from non-cash payments and the emergence of maybe new methods of contactless payments and again like these are not bad things this evolution and this innovation are are welcome and they do offer many benefits for consumers they do make financial services easier perhaps make it more efficient for many consumers as well but it is cognizant and it's important to be reminded that, you know, they do sometimes create certain risks for consumers and investors, you know, maybe through issues around privacy breaches, algorithmic biases in terms of how consumer investor consumer and investor information is actually used or indeed through financial exclusion of vulnerable groups. So these are issues that we see the firms need to consider and to prepare for. And we have seen certain progress in some areas, but we probably would be, remain concerned that the arrangements that firms have in place might not necessarily oversee all of the risks that we see, either from a digitalization perspective or indeed maybe from a cyber crime or from poor IT systems perspective, that can also result in threats from cyber risk and also um, system failures and outages. So, I, I suppose what we'd be focusing on or requiring firms to think about is actually do your systems or do you as a firm have the overall ability to oversee and manage all of the risks that are associated with technological innovations, as, I, as I've mentioned here before. So I suppose that's where I would probably see the, the trend merging and the tra- trend building. Um, And, and I would say it's, it's really important for firms to kind of to continue to to be aware of that and, and to see what impact technology it's, uh, and innovation might have on their wider business model. So it really is up to firms we we need to kind of predict
0: the unpredictable actually and and keep changing those those risk frameworks and evolving right. them
1: yeah that's, that's exactly yeah. it um, yeah. and and also and always with the with the consumer at mind so so yeah. it's not to ha- hamper innovation or to stifle it's it's very much to promote it but to ensure that it, it meets the needs of your customer base. And, re, and really, that's the responsibility of the firm.
0: Grania, turning to your own team and your own agenda in the central bank, can you share with us today with our listeners what is on the agenda of the
1: consumer protection team for 2021? Sure, I certainly can. Uh, and maybe the Outlook report goes some way in terms of setting out what we see as our, our priorities. But it's very much on our agenda and rolling into 2021 and beyond is the delivery of intrusive risk-based supervision and, and the. Key identification of risks that pose the greatest harm to consumers and identifying the firms and the products that might do that and tackling that from a supervisory perspective is really important. Another key area of focus for us is enhancing and strengthening the consumer protection framework, and that should be responsive to some of the practices we have discussed uh, Now, in terms of technology, innovation, and more generally, I suppose, changes across the financial services sector and the digital environment and what that means for consumers. We will continue to place considerable emphasis and focus on driving firms to take responsibility for embedding consumer focused cultures, which we've discussed, and that we really expect firms to operate to the highest standards of professionalism, honesty, integrity, and accountability in delivering fair outcomes for consumers, and that they always have the best interest of consumers and investors at their heart. I would say that a key priority for the central bank and indeed for the consumer protection directorate is our continued influence and shaping of key policy initiatives and agenda at a European, international, but also at a domestic level. And again, reinforcing the the obligations and requirements that the the firms and the sectors that we regulate at all times have the consumer and investor protection interest in the heart of what they do. I suppose there's maybe more Specific areas of work for 2021 are around the whole area of distressed debt, which we saw as a consequence or a risk arising out of COVID-19, and that we will continue to um focus on ensuring that borrowers in financial distress are treated fairly and treated sympathetically and positively by firms and that firms again are acting in ways that support those borrowers because it is a very stressful time for them and they do so in accordance with our codes and regulations and that's really important and that they treat and interact engage with those uh, individuals in a sympathetic manner is is critical critical in in our view and we'll also enhance our gatekeeping processes again to ensure that firms and individuals seeking access and seeking to operate in the Irish financial services the system meet all of the authorisation standards that we expect, that we expect them to be capable of, of supervising so that they can evidence and show us that they are in a position to continue to meet them for as long as they remain authorised. I've probably summarised that in about six or seven key points. There's probably another six or seven I could add to that, Cathy, but for in the interest of time, I suppose I can I can leave it there. But I would say that we do have a heavy agenda and I do see it spanning well beyond 2021 and some of those themes and pieces of work that we're talking about will certainly span well beyond 2021. Yeah.
0: Well, well, you can always come back, Gráinne, even if you <laughs> can come
1: back and talk us on, on
0: The Compliance Files. On behalf of our members and listeners, I'd really like to thank you, Gráinne, for, for talking to us today. That was that was a really useful discussion. And uh, thank you very much.
1: You're very welcome, Cathy. And thanks again for inviting me to the forum this morning. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Compliance Files. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to ensure you don't miss out on future episodes.